Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody feeling? Amazing. That's amazing. I'm glad you said that. Somebody said blessed. Blessed. I'm blessed. I get to be here with y'all. Man, I'm excited. Did you see your favorite movie on the bumper? Did you see, did you see one of your favorite movies? Um, that, was, uh, that was a clip. It was a, it was a uh, what's it called? Like a compilation video of famous last lines from all kinds of movies. I remember, I remember uh, the first time I ever saw the Rocky movies. Anybody see the Rocky movies? No, a couple of you? Man, y'all ain't hip. I think, I think for like the next four Sundays, forget me, we should just play the Rocky movies for the next. Because four is all you really need to see. One, two, three, and four. Man, I remember the last line of the first movie, man, where he just, oh my goodness, where he just screams out, right? You know what I'm about to say, right? Come on. Somebody's with me. Adrian! We did it! Man, that was like forever. Like, I said that for like literally everything forever after that. It's funny how last words stick with us like that. Michael B. Jordan and his part in Black Panther just dropped it like that. Dang. Man. Or when Tony Stark, I remember seeing Iron Man in theaters. When Tony Stark calls a press conference, looking at his notes, flips his notes cards to the side, and he's like, the truth is, I am Iron Man. Boom, and the movie just ended. Like, man, I was like, yeah, I'm Iron Man. (laughs) Ask my brothers. I still think I'm Iron Man. It's funny how last words stick with us. And so as as we march on towards Easter, pun intended, I'll wait for you to get that. As we march on towards it, because it's March, because it's March. It's, it's March right now, yeah. As we march on towards Easter, we move from a series where we read the last words that the Apostle Paul ever wrote to the church, and now we move on to the last words that Jesus ever muttered while he died on the cross. Well, that is before he came back, but we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. It's amazing to me, as Jesus dying on the cross, even though he knew he was coming back, instead of just saying, hey, be back in three, (laughs) like just one little like antagonizing line as they lower him from the cross as he takes his last breath, like, you'll see me again. It's amazing to me that instead of any of that, even though he knew he'd be right back, Uh he he finds it within himself to say these last few phrases. With what few breaths he has left, he says a few things. And so for the next several weeks in our series called Famous Last Words, we're going to be looking at five of the phrases, five of the last phrases that Jesus says on the cross, the first of which is going to take us to the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn there. It's the Gospel of Luke. So if you hit to where the New Testament is at in your Bibles, it goes Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. So it's the third book in. Third Gospel. And we're going to flip a whole lot of pages. There's a whole lot of life that Jesus lived. We're going to jump all the way to chapter 23. 
And we're going to begin our time in verse 32. If you don't have your Bibles with you, that's okay. It's up here on the screen. I want you to follow along with me. Here we go. It says, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. Talking about Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull. I don't know about you, but I'm not trying to go to a place called the skull. When they come to a place called the skull, it was there that they nailed Jesus to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. This is the gospel of our Lord, and it is true. Before I can really get into this, I've got to ask the question that I know, or at the very least I hope is on somebody's mind in this room today, and that is, how did we get here? How did we end up here? How did we end up? I feel like I just missed so much of the movie. I feel like I just walked in. People were glued to the screen. I'm like, what's everybody watching? I turn around and I see a man bleeding out on the cross. Just being hung for all of society to watch. How the heck did we get here? Man, I thought the way I grew up and the way my grandma had communicated it, I thought Jesus was the good guy. I thought Jesus was the hero of the story. Why is he up there on that cross? Why is he up there? Why is he dying? Why is all of this going down? It might be hard for you to believe if the only thing you had ever heard is stories passed on to you. But Jesus, while he was here, rubbed some people the wrong way. Jesus was not like the most likable character. He wasn't the most liked character by any means. I think a lot of times we, 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 we assume that, 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 that it was, it was uh, just, just by happenstance or that, or that Jesus volunteered and said, and said hey, uh, this is where you guys are supposed to crucify me now so I can die for everybody's sins. But it genuinely was because people didn't like him. He was not a popular figure. He was very outspoken. People didn't really like that about him. He didn't really pay attention to like societal norms. So like those people that you know you're not really supposed to like be kicking it with, those people that you, that you, that that the rest of society is like, man, don't, don't, just don't. Jesus would go have dinner with them. You know, those, 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 those people that, that, you know, no, no doctor, as educated as a doctor may or may not have been, no doctor could possibly uh, do anything for. So just go ahead and send them up out the town and let them live their days away from us before we catch whatever it is that, that, that they got Jesus hung out with them. And you know those people, those people that are second-class citizens, you know those people who, who, who do our homework for us, there's a space between that word, those people who, who take care of the homestead and the children while we're gone and we just view them more as property than anything, you know those people, what are they called, um, women? 
Jesus spoke to them. But that wasn't really what got him killed. It wasn't even the fact that he spoke with such authority. It wasn't even the fact that people flocked all over the place to hear this man talk because when he spoke, there was just some sort of like authority that he spoke with that people were just like, I don't know where this comes from, but my goodness, I can't help but want to listen. And he would say things that would be controversial. He would say things that would be against cultural norms. He even dared to challenge, no, he even dared to rebuke the religious leaders. The people who, who, who are supposed to be so, so well-versed in the law. They know the law better than anybody. They determine your judgment. They run this joint. Jesus dared to even say, y'all are tripping. You ain't got it right. You might have this appearance. You might have a whole lot of stuff. And these people might think you run this place. But, bro, I know your heart. But that's not what got him killed. No, the most offensive thing that Jesus did, the one that, was, that, was that, 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 that led him to that cross, is him having the audacity to claim that he was the Son of God. Amen. Him having the audacity to say, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection. Yes. Oh, you trying to get to the other side? Well, I am the door. Jesus said those things, and to them, that was this thing called blasphemy, yes. which means you are speaking directly against my God. You are speaking directly against the things and the very law that we uphold. See, the people that, 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 that were around back then, they were so caught up in themselves. They were so caught up in the law. They were so caught up in religiosity that they failed to see the miracles that were being performed right in front of their eyes. That even they wouldn't deny was their savior. I wish I, wish I had time to go there today. But how often... How often are we so caught up in ourselves? How often are we so caught up in our own appearance, in our own religiosity or our own whatever, that we completely miss the things that are unfolding right in front of us is our Savior? I don't have time to go there today. But man, they missed it. And so for this, Jesus had to be arrested when they made their accusations point blank in the dead of night, he didn't deny it. Amen. And so they handed down to him capital punishment. Wow. They handed down to him the cruelest of all. No, you're not going to spend a life behind bars for this one. No, sir. No. No, we're going to make an example out of you. You, you need to die. But you need to die publicly. You need to die brutally. You need to die so that everyone who sees it will be discouraged from following in those footsteps. And yet while Jesus was hanging on the cross in front of the very crowd that put him there, 
He says, forgive them. God, I want you to forgive them. Because let's be real, Dad. They don't know what they're doing. Point one. Jesus forgave a lot. Yeah, Jesus died for my sins. No, 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 no. I feel like that sentence is starting to start to lack the oomph that we should say it with. Jesus forgave a lot. He didn't just like forgive some. And I think sometimes when we lump all things into all, it loses, it loses its power. No, Jesus forgave a whole lot. I want us to go there for a minute. Jesus was the long anticipated. These very religious leaders, the world, mourned, begged, pleaded with God, please send us a Savior. We have waited for generations to see him. It's been 400 years since we've heard from you. Are you still coming to get us? We feel abandoned. We're left here. God, please come get us. He was the long anticipated. He was the one they begged for. And when they dared to give him a mic, metaphorically speaking, he had the audacity to say, I'm not here for those of you who feel you are well off. I'm here for those of you who are enslaved. I'm here for those of you who are blind. I'm here for those of you who are lame. I'm here for those of you who are sick. I'm here for those of you who are poor. I'm here for those of you who are oppressed. Man, how do you hate that guy? Jesus was all-inclusive. Jesus was all-loving. Jesus was the perfect image of God. As my brother so much loves to say, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus was the perfect image of God's character. And yet, he too experienced betrayal. There was this guy that ate every meal with him for three years. Sold out, pun intended. Took money to give up Jesus' location. They were boys. They were close. He just straight up betrayed him. Dared to kiss this man's cheek as he betrayed him. There's another guy who arguably he was closer to than anybody else. For three years, they walked together. For three years, they were people. When Jesus went up and talked to the Father, he was one of the people that he was like, yo, be quiet and stand in the back, but come with me. And yet when faced point blank, hey, you know Jesus, don't you? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Nope. Don't know who you're talking about. No, yeah, you're that guy. I've seen you. It's like your best friend. Like, what do you mean? You're in like Instagram photos with each other. Uh-uh. Mm-mm, no, 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 no. The deleted. Mm-mm. No, bro, I'm positive because, listen, I know your beard, man. I know. Like, I would know that beard anywhere. I know for a fact. I've seen you with Jesus. Man, will you leave me alone? I don't know him. Denial. Jesus puts up with the mocking. People dare to make fun of him, to make cruel memes, gifts, and jokes out of the things that he very seriously came here to proclaim. 
The very people who prayed for his arrival, the very people who so desperately wanted him to be here are the very people that you now dare to mock me? He dealt with rejection in the crowd. Go back through the Gospels and read all the times that it said, and crowds followed. Go back and read all the times that it says, and Jesus fed the crowd. Jesus loved the crowd. Jesus taught the crowd. Jesus did all of this stuff for the crowd. And now what we read is the crowd yells, boo! Crucify him. Jesus dealt with injustice. Jesus dealt with an unjust process. They came and got my guy in the middle of the night. And before a proper jury could be summoned, they brought him before the council and they were like, what do y'all want to do with him? And without proper judgment, without proper processing, they were like, nah, yeah, he's guilty. The... Jesus dealt with physical abuse. See, they didn't just take him and leave him in a cell that they called death row until they came to stick the needle in him. They beat him the whole way. They whipped him the whole way. They kicked him the whole way. Jesus was beaten up, bloodied, and broken before he even got put on that cross. All this, by the way, after generations and generations of God calling after his people, after generations of God demonstrating his constant faithfulness, and yet in return is what's returned to him the people's constant faithlessness. And yet, with all of this in mind, Jesus says, forgive them. Jesus forgave a lot. Jesus' follow-through, by the way, had massive implications. Him actually going through this was him interceding on behalf of all humanity, becoming the ultimate mediator between us and God. Because prior to this, we were separated. We can't measure up. We can't live up. We all fall short of the glory of God. But while we were yet still sinners, Christ dies for us. And so now the good news comes to us. And the good news that comes to us is this, 1 John 1, that God is faithful, means he's consistent, means he's persistent, means he never stops forgiving. Colossians 1 tells us that, that, that Jesus saw us in the darkness and he rescued us from the darkness. He saw the things that we were doing. He saw the things that we were into. He saw down the road the implications of all of those things. And he saves us from the darkness and brings us into the light. Isaiah 43 and Hebrews 10, for that matter, talks about the fact that Jesus blots out. He takes this big old eternal white out thing and just blots out our sin. He remembers it no more. Doesn't even bring it up. 
Acts 3 tells us that our sins have been completely wiped out. And this, they add, is refreshing. We can breathe. Isaiah 1 says, if sin is the color of blood, how bloody and soaked are all of our clothes. Jesus cleanses those things white as snow. I love the imagery provided in Micah 7 where it talks about all of your iniquities, all of these things that you know you do, and maybe the person next to you knows you do, but even they don't know everything that you do, all those things that when the lights are out, all of those things that you really think, all of those things that you secretly post from that fake Twitter account, all of these things are picked up, balled up, and thrown into the deepest, deepest, darkest parts of the sea. That's where they lie. The psalmist in 103 says that your sins are so separate from you, they are as separate as east and west. They are as far, you are as far from your sin after Jesus as the east is from the west. Do you realize that the east and west never actually touch? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that if you have come to a point of repentance in Christ Jesus, then he has come to a point in forgiveness with you, and you are made a completely new person. You ever go through something in your life, come back around, see somebody from that old life, and they're like, man, you're like a brand new person. You're like, dang right I am. Coming back. Landing this in the image, back again to the imagery of Micah chapter 7, it says that God delights in showing mercy. Amen. It's not like you're standing before him and you are having to read all of the wrong things that you are doing. And he's like, fine, yep, that's fine. Pay your fines, see the person on the way out. Like, God actually delights in showing mercy. God is actually happy to forgive you. God actually wants you to come to him, not so he can beat you in the head, but so that he can say, I love you. So that he can smile as you watch those things get wiped away. Point two, and somebody needs to hear this today. Jesus forgives you a lot. Jesus forgave a lot when he was on the cross, and now even to this day, Jesus forgives you. That's personal. I'm not attacking. I'm just telling you. Jesus give, forgives you a lot. I hope you hear that this morning. Christ has not only forgiven you, but Christ has separated that sin from you in ways that are beyond our own comprehension. It's described 20 plus times in the Bible, and we still don't get it. My question, though, is have you forgiven yourself? Uh -oh. Have you forgiven yourself or are, are you still walking daily in the things that you do and have done wrong? Are you still holding on to it? This walk, as we just talked about in the last series, this walk as a Christian is tough. It's tough enough as it is. We're going to go through some things. You might as well not be carrying all this baggage with you. 
I think for a lot of us, it's so difficult to think about the fact that Jesus forgives us. And so in order to overcompensate for the radical nature of him forgiving, we hold on to it ourselves. It's a common phrase I hear mostly, uh, okay, it's a common phrase that I hear when people say, oh, dude, I couldn't even walk into the church. Dude, if I walked into a church, I would literally burst into flames. You ever heard that before? I always look at them and say, I don't know that you've even been where I've been and I don't burst. Coming into the presence of God means coming into the presence of God's mercy. And coming into the presence of God's mercy means coming into forgiveness. Our forgiveness problem as a church is not that we have to hope for God to forgive us. That's, that's a given. Our, forgive, our forgiveness problem, rather, is that once he forgives us, we have to learn to forgive ourselves and let that sin be separated from us. That we don't actually have to return to it as a dog returns to its vomit. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God has separated us from our sin? Aren't you glad that in an argument, in a back and forth conversation, God won't bring that back up and throw it in your face? Aren't you glad that it's not this permanent mark on your record that you always have to register for and that you're never going to be allowed housing or a job or any sort of nice thing because of? Aren't you glad that the points aren't tallying up, leading to an inevitable suspension? That was good news to me at 17. Aren't you glad? Still is good news. My wife is looking at me. I got to take it the other day. She's, look, she's giving me that look. That's why. It's because I got to take it the other day. All right, let's keep going. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? That when we come to God and repent, he removes the transgression. Amen. Jesus forgives deeply. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but I've got a lot. Point two, Jesus forgives you a lot. And this forgiveness, guys, this forgiveness, this forgiveness should make us feel some type of way. This forgiveness should compel us to do something. Me personally, I'm an extrovert, so this forgiveness compels me to want to yell. I'm not mad at you, I'm happy. This is my happy yell. This forgiveness should compel you to have some sort of emotional and physical response. This forgiveness, you should feel so deeply that you're led to do nothing else but fall on your face and just worship the God who makes it all possible. This forgiveness is so serious that you should want to, like, love people because, oh, my goodness, if somebody can show me this kind of love, what kind of love must I show somebody else? This forgiveness. This forgiveness should lead us, Jesus says, to forgive. Ho, 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 yo, whoa. Hold up. I was with you, Pastor. Hey, man, you were going there, bro. I was with you. 
Is forgiveness? Oh, throw my hands up and worship. Hallelujah. Woo, yes. This forgiveness should lead you to love. Yes, I love you. Mwah. I love you. Mwah. This forgiveness should lead you to forgive. Hold, but, hold, but wait. But you, I'm saying though, I should, I should want to worship. Cool. I should want to love. Cool. I should want to do what? I should want to forgive. But ain't that, but, but, but didn't that, but didn't you do that? So then why do I gotta, why do I gotta, why do I gotta? That's, that's the hardest part. Luke chapter 7 says, 17, excuse me, says, if you are sinned against, rebuke that person. I'm like, yeah. But that, at the end of that sentence is a comma. It says, and if they repent, forgive them. And then if they do it again, and you rebuke them again, and they repent again, forgive them again. How many times? Seven times. How many times is that? Seventy times. Stop. That's a lot. Colossians 3 says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Mark, Mark, or Matthew 6 says, if you, forgive, if you forgive others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Mark 11 says, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. And Ephesians tells us to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and along with any form of malice because we need to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Mm, because Jesus... Forgives us a lot. Point three, because there's still room on that slide, is that you should forgive a lot. We should forgive a lot. It's true. The Bible tells us to forgive. Who is it that you need to forgive? Who is it that you need to forgive? What are those ill feelings that you're still holding on to? Who is that person that is completely, probably in the wrong? But you're still holding it against them. And here's the thing. I know what you're thinking. I was thinking it too. When God was laying this on my heart, I'm like, yeah, but God, what about the people that I know? I know what you're thinking. Pastor. You don't know what has been done to me. You don't know what has been done to me. You're right. I would like to humbly, gently encourage you to remember the image we're given in today's passage. I would say that a whole lot of awful things were done to Jesus. A whole lot of unspeakable, really bad things were done to Jesus. And if we are to follow Jesus' example, then that means we are to follow Jesus' example even as he dies on the cross. Where we let justice belong to God. We let justice be God's. And what we do is we pray 
for the wrongdoer's forgiveness. We pray that God forgives them. Because Jesus says, for they know not what they do. Whoever did you wrong, I believe, probably knows not the depth of evil that they have caused you. I believe that they don't even begin to understand the amount of torment, treachery, and sleepless nights that they have caused you. I believe that when they were so selfish, they had no idea the depths of what they would do. But we pray for their forgiveness and we fall. We fall with open arms into the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God is where we are reborn. The Spirit of God is what brings healing. The Spirit of God is what rebuilds. So as the scriptures say, let there be no ill intent. Let there be no anger. Let there be no closed fists in the direction of. Let there be no slander. Let there be none of that. Because where that exists, the Spirit does not exist. When we need the Spirit, let's let the Spirit go to work. Because when the Spirit goes to work, it transforms. The very power that led Christ to forgive. You think a man just hanging up there, his first thought was, eh, forgive him. No, that was the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God said, forgive them. The very power that led Christ to forgive is the very power that three days later got underneath his head, got underneath his legs, picked him up and whipped him up out of that tomb. That power lives within you. It lives within me. I know how radical it is. It's ridiculous, guys. But that power, I want to let that spirit move. I don't want to be a pastor where I just got to talk about it. I don't want to be a pastor where somebody else just talks about it. I want to be the pastor of a church that lets the spirit of God move. That's where I'm trying to be. If that's not where y'all trying to be, let's go somewhere else. Because that's where I'm trying to be. Let's commit today. Let's commit this morning as a church to not hold on to any feelings of unforgiveness, whether that's toward ourselves or towards somebody else. Let's let go of all the ways we haven't allowed ourselves to move on. Let's let go of all the ways that we haven't moved on from bad feelings towards other people because, guys, because when we commit to letting go of those things, the Spirit can go to work. When the Spirit goes to work, people are set free. People are healed. People are redeemed. Let's be a church where these things happen. Let's be a church that opens its doors, but doesn't open its doors, stands in the doorways and calls out to everyone to come in here. Let's open our doors because we're going out there. Let's open our doors, go out there, and walk into our community. And when, we, and when we are inevitably surrounded by the destruction of our community, we dare not to lower our brows and shoot a condemning look at not one person. Let's be a church that while we're surrounded by destruction, we don't wear eyes that condemn. Rather, we engage with compassion. And we carry a posture that says not go to hell, 
but says instead, Father, forgive them. 